Set yourself a New Year goal, they said. It'll be fun. <sighs> Perhaps swimming in the Irish Sea wasn't such a good idea. Set a more achievable goal, like taking control of your finances with personalised money insights in the Bank of Ireland app. It'll help keep track of your spending, like changes to bills, or you might have too many subscriptions. See your tailored money insights, because your financial well-being is our priority. Bank of Ireland. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Terms and conditions apply. Great. There goes my towel. The Left Wing, brought to you by Bank of Ireland, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Never stop competing. Otewa, O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is coming back inside! Let's have another! Darcy, O'Driscoll oh. through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, stamped and scored! Well, it's every rugby fan's favourite week. The Six Nations is finally upon us, and we start off with a cracking opening weekend. Ireland hosting Wales at the Aviva Stadium, and we'll be joined in the second half of the show by Wales legend Tom Shanklin to get the view on how things are shaping up over there and to look ahead to the tournament generally. We'll also be joined in a couple of minutes by Rory O'Connor to look in on how Ireland's preparation has been going. But first, Luke Australia is here with me. Luke, always a really good time of year. It's very exciting. Ireland looked to be in a good place heading into the weekend. Ah, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, a lot of experienced bodies that are kind of fit and key to key to how the team plays. They're, they're back. You're Johnny Sexton's these guys. Um, now, sorry, that could all change on Thursday, <laughs> as we know. Um, they're kind of shady enough about giving out the information injury wise. But uh, the the squad looks to be in, in pretty good health. Only James Lowe really missing from the probably frontline starters. Is that a maybe a presumptuous way to look at things? But I think given November, probably not. Um, Look like they've figured out maybe a way that they should play. Um, that plays, I think, to their strengths, that kind of faster, top of the ground uh, kind of style. Um, you know, utilizing the ball playing abilities within that forward pack, utilizing that mobility that this pack has from one to eight. Um, so, yeah, I think they're in a really, really good place. Now, I think the tournament would be tricky for them. I think they've obviously got England and France away. Um, they're always difficult years. You know, those two big teams away from home, that's asking a lot. Um, it's not beyond Ireland, certainly not, but um, it, it's it's a big ask, isn't it? Um, so I hope I'm wrong, but um, not sure we'll get over the line this year. But I think we are in a very good position to uh, certainly contend. And uh, I think those matches will still be tight because, as I said, Ireland are playing well. And um, mm. once you're in a tight battle, you never know. Uh, we've got the players like your Johnny Sexons who are pressure players, big game players who could, you know, drop a goal from 40, 40 yards to, to win it. So we have those guys. Um, so I wouldn't rule us out. Yeah, good memories. Uh, we might crack on into uh, part one of our preview. We're delighted to have Rory O'Connor with us. Rory, how are things? Good, thanks, Will. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Always an exciting time of year. Six Nations kicking off this weekend. You know, it's funny, you know, thinking things to talk about, talking points around the Irish team. It, it kind of struck me, it's quite a settled build-up at the moment. The, the team seems to, you know, more or less pick itself, which isn't always a good thing, albeit, you know, got after, no, after November, I think people wouldn't be too disappointed with that. Like, what's your take on it? Are Ireland going in in a good place? Yeah, I think it's hard to argue against that. Um, excellent November <clears throat> on the back of a a good finish the last year's Six Nations. Um, you know, a summer where they blooded a few bodies, um, which wasn't perfect, but they, you know, gave some older players time off, got some new, new blood in. 
Um, it's a very settled team now under Andy Farrell. Like a year ago, there was major question marks about whether he was the right man for the job. Those have been parked. There's nothing, none of that anymore. I think beating New Zealand is a cure-all for, for any, any debate like that. There's only one injury since New Zealand. Um, you know, one member of the 23 is 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 not there. That's James Lowe. Um, Robbie Henshaw's come back into the mix. And yeah, like it's it's a fairly it's why I've tipped Ireland to win the tournament this year because I, I you know it's the most settled of all of the different countries that are involved. You know, they don't have a COVID crisis like France do, they don't have the major issues that England and Wales do in terms of injuries and absentees. They're, they're in a really strong position. They say all 37 players are fit to be selected. We'll find out whether that's true on Thursday. You know, if they are, then um, then they're going into it in a very, very good place. And like there are a couple of like debates in the team, but it's not like, you know, there was no there was no outcry when the squad was named because I think, you know, there was there was very few players left out that you could really make a case could break in. And I think it'll be fairly similar with the team unless Andy Farrell has a surprise up his sleeve for us. Yeah, it's funny, Rod. I think you were the only one of the the panel of experts uh, in the Irish Independent to tip Ireland to win. I think every single other person went for France, and there was about twelve people who were, who were polled. Myself and Luke, I think, included. Luke, from your perspective, you know, I think one of the questions in that kind of preview was what would a, what would success look like for Ireland? Like for you, is that only winning the tournament? Is it, you know, continuing on with the style of play that we saw in November that you know was very effective? Is it getting a big away scalp? Like what what does success look like for you at the end of this tournament? Maybe I misinterpreted the question uh, that I responded to because I thought uh, what does success look like for Ireland and I thought that the only thing that would look like success to them is winning the competition. If you're asking me, a nobody, a watcher from the sidelines uh, with no skin in the game, uh, I'd say, yeah, I'd like to see a bit of continuation of the game plan. I'd like to see them play bravely in Paris. Um, I'd like to see them stick to their guns because I think it suits us. I think it suits our style. I think it suits the players that we have. I think it's a way better. There's there's way more scope for us to be successful playing this game plan against uh, the bigger teams at the bigger tournaments, I think, uh, playing this way. So that's that is that would look like success to me. I still think they need to go and win four out of five uh, at a minimum for me. But I think as a team, we're past that and, and they shouldn't be thinking that anything other than a win is, is a success for them. They've got two massive fixtures away that are always difficult to go and win, but they're well capable of going and doing that or get, like getting very close to one of them and winning one of them. I think that, that might be enough to, to, to see them through to a win in, in the tournament. So, uh, yeah, I, I may have misinterpreted the, um, the, the, the task in my, in my question, uh, my answer, sorry. I hope I didn't. Yeah, like, Rod, the, the away piece of it is interesting. You know, all of Ireland's best performances under Andy Farrell have been at the Aviva Stadium, some of them without fans, you know, and obviously in November with the fans back, the New Zealand game in particular. So going on the road to one of the big heavyweights in the tournament and still playing that style of play and getting a good result, ideally, but even going out and playing that way would be a, a good check mark. I would have thought, you know, building towards 2023. Absolutely. I mean... One thing that Andy Farrell has been robbed of is the chance to go on a, a, a tour to one of the big summer, Southern Hemisphere nations and, and play three games against the, the big hitters. You know, he was supposed to go to go to Australia in 2020. That didn't happen. He was supposed to go to Fiji for three games in 2021 with a younger squad. And that didn't happen either. And I think that those are important windows when you're developing a team as an Ireland coach. And he hasn't been you know, given that opportunity because of COVID. He hopes to take them to New Zealand this year so you know you look at his away record it's not brilliant the first first year he went England and and, and Paris 
Um, you know, England twice and Paris once and lost all three. Obviously lost in, in, in Cardiff last year, which was, you know, a red card through that game. And then Ireland played very well that day. They just, um, you know, the red card was proved a bit too much for them. But uh, yeah, going and getting a scalp away from home, is a, it will be a big step along the way for them as a team. And, and Luke's right, you know, it's playing that way. It's can they do it when they're away from the comfort of Diviva? Because they played the majority of their games in Dublin during this 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 coach's tenure. So there is somewhat of a, of a comfort in that. And under Joe Schmidt, they became very, very difficult to beat at the Aviva. Their record at home is really excellent. So that is probably um, one unknown. And it's, you know, when you go away to these teams, do they have the, like, they have an unbelievable front row and everyone's fit? Do they have the five, tight five replacements to get through 80 minutes against a team like France who can roll off a world-class front row and, and, and a, you know, another 120 kilo um, second row to kind of ram things home in the way that kind of La Rochelle and Saracens did against Leinster, you know, those kind of big performances that have undermined Irish rugby in the last, you know, five five years. I think they possibly do now. I'm not sure. That's the one thing that that, that they need to overcome, um, particularly in Paris. I just can't wait for that game in, in two weeks' time. But obviously, they, you know, you know, I'm making the, 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 the tried and trusted error of overlooking the Wales game and, and uh, you know, the, the mistake that we make every year. But, you know, I, I think that those two away games are really critical to knowing whether Ireland are really on the, on the cusp of something under this coach. Yeah, look, and is there anything going into the tournament that has you not worry, but is there any part of the of the team or any areas of the game plan that you think could be something that they could trip them up over the next couple of weeks? Or, you know, what what are you looking at it from that point of view? Um yeah, I think the biggest risk is still Johnny Sexton, isn't it? Like his kind of age profile, can he get through a tournament? Um looked very good again for, for Leinster, although hard to judge in in, in that. Uh, kind of setting against that opposition, but um, he's still the key guy, isn't he? Like, and quite a bit, quite a good bit better than, than some of the others below. They just they've created a, a lot of you know, kind of that kind of concentration risk in that little place in the in a, in a key place in the team, I might add. So, um, you know, Carberry looked good when he came on, those kicks will have settled him down. You'll have to think he'll get confidence from them, but he just hasn't played enough, he keeps getting injured. Uh, the two young guys in, 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 in Munster look good, but they haven't played enough either. And you could argue the same for, for Ross and, and, and Harry, who are kind of sharing game time with Frawley not even getting a look at 10. So um, I probably exclude Billy Burns from that uh, unfairly. He was good in the last game uh, against Claremont, I thought. Um, but that's the area where I kind of, geez, I was thinking, what happens if he goes down like over in Paris? Is, do we have someone who can dig us out? Have we got anyone who's kind of proven... Uh, proving themselves in a situation where we might have gone behind in a game, will the guys trust him? Um, that that question is still unanswered with this Ireland team, I think. Um, other than that, I mean, you could get, probably get caught up maybe with a little bit too much enthusiasm from November, maybe overplay your hand a little bit. I still think you have to play a little bit pragmatically away from home in, in the Six Nations at times. We have to be prepared for that. Um, will they find the balance? That's... Um, that's a big challenge for this team. But I do think they have to play fast. They have to play, play with ball in hand. They have to be brave. But they're still going to have to kick it and they're going to have to kick well. So um, we need to be prepared for that. And that's the challenge. That's a challenge for them too, I think. Hmm. Just on Johnny Sexton Road, like obviously by far and away the first choice. But how many games do you think he should start in this Six Nations? Let's presume that he is fit and he plays, He you know, he doesn't get injured. How many games do you think he should start in the Six Nations? It's a very, like... <laughs> Right, are you asking me or are you asking me? Are you asking I'm asking what, you. What I I, I, he'd probably start off five, you know, if he was I fit. think he's going to start off five. 
Um, I think the problem Andy Farrell has is that the Italy game is in the, is smack bang in the middle, so there's a week off in between, either side of it. Do you want Johnny Sexton coming into the um, game against England away, having not played in a month, or do you play him? I liked it last year. They used the Italy game, um, which was the same schedule. You know, it was right in the middle as a kind of a momentum builder. If he's fit, I think he plays. I like what Leinster do with him. You know, when it comes to say, you know, the the times where they've had Heineken Cup semi final. Uh, Pro 14 final, Heineken Cup final, or something like that, a run of that, they kind of bring Ross Byrne in for one of them. It's it's almost time Ireland started doing that. Um, I just can't see it happening in this window. I don't know. Jack Carty like, hasn't got the credit in the bank with his coaching ticket. I, I would like to see him involved because I think he's he, he's earned it. I think his form is excellent. And if Carberry was like, really, we, we need someone to be taking the jersey off Johnny Sexton and the way that he took the jersey off Ron O'Gara and the way that Ron O'Gara took it off David Humphreys and, and no one is doing that even when Carberry was fit and firing before Christmas he was starting to find form but it wasn't as if you were looking at him going there's Ireland's 10 you were looking at him going there's Ireland's 10 slash 15 who can come off the bench and do a job for 15 20 minutes we're not at panic stations yet I think you know one of them will start one of the tests in New Zealand um, during the summer like there's, there's a model there to be to be done of, of kind of you know go one on one off but I think Ireland are targeting the Six Nations to win it. He is the captain of the team. Like that's Andy Farrell's decision. He's going to start when he's fit, um, for the time being, anyway. And I think it's until Carberry is playing so well, or Carty or anyone is playing so well that 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 it's it's a proper debate. I I can't see Andy Farrell changing the way he's selected so far. Yeah, Luke. Because even if you look at the fixtures, and you might say. Uh, would, would one of the home games against Scotland or Wales be maybe a good time to, to give another guy a chance? But it's the opening game against Wales, so Sexton was gonna, is going to start that. Scotland is the last game of the Six Nations. Obviously, maybe if Ireland are out of title contention, potentially there might be some wiggle room. But ideally, you'd like to think the team will still be in the hunt for a trophy. So, And as Rudd said, the Italy game doesn't really come at a good time for that either because you know Sexton could be on ice then for four weeks going into a really important game. So like, what, what, what would, how would you manage that? Like, Do you think it is worth giving another out half a run out in a big game or, you know, in one of the other games other than Italy? Um, oh, it's such a tough question, isn't it? Like, um, yeah, I probably would. I think they're, I think they're, I'd be really worried if he wasn't feeling concerned about this area, put it that way. And I think he should be focusing on it. Um, because, I don't know. I just a whole tournament. Like I, you're going to need someone there. You just don't know. He could get injured. Like if he gets injured just before, you know, World Cup, or he does, or he decides to hang up the boots. Who knows? Like, um, I don't know. You're in big, big trouble. You're trying to blood someone really, really quickly. And I just feel like they he gives himself no scope to try something else out. Um, and Carberry is, is is looks very much cemented in as his number two. Um, but he's not he. Uh, he's. I think he's still a little unproven at this level. Uh, if I'm being honest, playing 80 minutes for a whole Six Nations tournament, like he hasn't done that, so that's concerning to me. I, I'd be trying to get them as much time as possible. Uh, at some point, we're going to have to sacrifice one of these tournaments. Like, you could bring someone down. You say, yeah, look, play them in one of those games in the Southern Hemisphere against New Zealand. You could be on the end of a tonking down there. They're like, they 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 will be out to settle a score down there. Um. Like that could be like a Ross Byrne playing against that English pack, getting hosed by 40 points and everyone's saying he's absolutely useless, not up to the level. <laughs> like 
No one looks up to the level when you're getting pumped with 40 points. That's not the Ed Haas fault. Do you know what I mean? That's everyone's fault. So you could end up in a situation like that where the only time you play one of these guys is in a game down in, in New Zealand. I don't think we've got a great record down there unless you tell me something that I don't know. Um, so that's a big risk to me too. You could blow out someone's confidence down there. Be in a worse situation. Results will play yeah. a, a role in this as well, though. If they lose the first two games, then there's definitely a case for going, right, this is a developmental tournament and starting Carberry in all three of the, the remaining games. But if you're, you know, if you're going for a grand slam against Scotland, you don't change your, your captain. You know, you, you like that's where it's that's where it's so tricky. I'm like, you know, if Ireland get knocked out of the World Cup and no one has enough experience, will be like certainly I will be, you know, and I like this is the hypocrisy sometimes of being in the media and being an aftertimer, but like everyone will be looking back and going, no one got enough game time. So it's it's but as you sit here at the start of the biggest tournament outside of the World Cup, it's very difficult to make the case that Andy Farrell should drop Johnny Sexton, uh, play one of the other two tens for for Wales on Saturday, based on the World Cup, which is eighteen months down the line. I like you know that that's a very hard case to make. It like there is a case to be made for it, but he's got to be laying the groundwork for that six months out and saying this tournament is about the World Cup. You know, James Ryan is going to be you know my you know we're, we're going to make James Ryan captain for this tournament. We have a plan. Johnny's there to close out games. Sexton has to come out and do interviews to say that I'm okay with this. Like there's a whole there's a whole uh, roadmap to this that they have to do. They can't just make the decision now. And there's no indication at this stage that like it's anyone but Sexton. And and, and I think there there's a bit of hope in it. And like ultimately, the last two World Cups have come a cropper because Johnny Sexton wasn't fit in, in, in some of the biggest games. And well, sorry, they rested him for Japan and, and played Jack Carty. And well, I don't think Jack Carty was the main reason for that. It was that was what I think Joe Schmidt did. And um he certainly thought Ian Madigan was a major part of the, the Argentina game, which again I think was unfair. But um, you know, losing Johnny at that point at the World Cup was massive and there was no there was no contingency plan for that. Mm, but certainly a really interesting debate. It'll be interesting to see how it develops over the course of the Six Nations. And Luke, it, who in the Ireland squad do you think could be could be primed for a really big tournament? Like if you look to last year, you know, Robbie Henshaw kind of emerged as, as one of the key guys, you know, one of the best centers in, in the Six Nations. Ty Byrne had a really breakout tournament as well. If you're looking across the squad this time around, is there anyone in particular you think is really ready to take that step and really mark themselves out as one of the best players in, in Europe in the Six Nations? Conan, maybe, I think, actually. Uh, he's due a, an injury-free a free tournament if he can get one. Um, or, you know, at least four out of five of the games. Uh, you know, he's just a bit of a stud. Like, I think we know about Porter. We know about Furlong. Um, another one possibly could be in, in one of those hooker, you know, those, those young hookers. Herring, I thought, was really, really good for Ulster against Claremont. But I hope to God he doesn't pick him. Uh, ahead of one of the Leinster guys, like it's just they're they're the they're the future, and they're both playing better than them, I think, for for a longer period this season. Uh, he's a real he'd be a real conservative pick to me now, to be honest. Um, those two guys are are proper studs, and he should select them in his team. So that one of those guys might have a breakout tournament. Um, I think um, like Keenan's been around, but Keenan's been really really good. I've been so impressed with him. I think we know Henshaw. Um, the interesting one for me now, because there's a lot of chatter about Ty Byrne. He's a guy that has been so consistently brilliant, but cannot seem to find a regular slot in the team. And I think it's by virtue of his body shape. I don't think it's for any... It, you, you could not say over the last two or three years that, Ty, that anyone's played better than Ty Byrne or more consistently at a high level than him. Um, this might be his time, but... 
they're going to have to pick him ahead of Henderson or Ryan, who are both just a better shape for, for you know, four and five in international rugby. It really pains me to say it. And I, 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 the only other person you might say that might be playing better than him is Doris. But like, I don't know. That's a, that's a bloody close call between those two guys for that six slot. So I'm really, yeah, I don't know. I have to say Conan, but I think Byrne is probably playing outstanding and he is primed to really kick on at this level. You just can't find the position. So we wait and see on that one. I hear lots of talk about him definitely being selected in, in the row. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on that one. Yeah, Rod, even in your, I think, selection preview, you, you kind of said burn for this weekend, but I think you intimated that you think Henderson could come in, I presume in front of Burn, given you mentioned the kind of the size element of it. Um, it has been an issue for him, but he does seem to be playing with a chip on his shoulder this year. Like, even though I feel like I talked about a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember if you were on or maybe he was keen, that like he hasn't really got his his kind of reward for the form he's shown, you know, in the into the Lions tour, you know, not getting the rub of the green there, not getting the start against the All Blacks as well. And he, he seems to be taking it out in the opposition. Oh, he's been brilliant. Like it, it, his problem is really probably Caelan Doris, um, or maybe maybe even Jack Conan, because you know Doris can play eight. Like Tyburn is a hybrid second row back row. He's he is a six, and you know Munster need him in the second row. But the Lions, sh- you know, Gatlin took him, and he was like hundred percent. This guy's a six, and he went for Courtney Laws ahead of him, and I think that was a mistake. Even though Laws is very good in the first test, um, with Ireland he has competition. Like, you know, his clubmate Peter Manny's one of the best back row number sixes, or sorry, uh, best line out number sixes in the world. He's in the match day 23 already. Uh, Doris is potentially the breakout star of this tournament. If he can stay fit, he's like, I think I see a lot of English journalists, a lot of English uh, pundits are tipping him to be a big, the big name in this tournament. I think that try against the All Blacks, nothing, again, nothing marks you out for big things like scoring a, a, a try from, you know, outside of 22 against the All Blacks. Um, like he's not he has to play. Conan probably has to play as well. So we get then he's in the row. And I think like Rod, Wales, come like, in there for a second, Rod. Like if Josh Hunter Fleer has injury concerns, can Ty Byrne play seven? Like, you know, O'Mahony can play seven. Why can't Ty Byrne play seven? He's never done it before. And he's like Byrne's more mobile, I think, than Peter he's, O'Mahony. He's, like he's he brings you your breakout, he brings your breakdown stuff, and he 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 has the dynamism and the mobile uh, he's mobile enough and I'm sure he could, you know, do the scrum stuff. No roads, isn't it? It is different. To, like six is very different to set. It is different. Like I know it some is, people say but... you can interchange it, but I think it is a bit different. So I'm not sure. Like he I... seems to have the hallmark of a lot of those qualities that we look Just for the, in a the, seven. The ability on the ground, you mean? Yeah, like that's yeah. it's not what we want from a seven, and he can carry the ball, he's, he's dynamic. I just feel like you know, because Peter Manny's often talked about as a seven option if under Fleer isn't fit, so I don't see why. Unless you guys can put, tell me that I'm completely off base. I'm not, so I'm not saying you'd be that. Ta- like, you'd be the tallest seven. Like, again, you're coming back to body type. Maybe we need to, you know, do an Eddie Jones on it and reinvent the way we think about these things. But, like, he doesn't look like a seven. He looks more like a six. You know, he, I mean, it'd be, the tallest, it'd be the tallest pack in the tournament by a mile. And, like, your line-out would be outstanding because you'd have a line-out option in every position. Um, and he does have the breakdown threat. So it's not, like, I don't know if they're thinking that way. I think sometimes they do pigeonhole a little bit too much when it comes to body shape. Um like I don't know if if if, if Fanafir's out, does Timoney come in because he's the most uh, you know natural Ooh, open side. He's great. playing very very well at the moment. Like Omani, like there are really good players and really good form in the squad. Like I haven't talked about Gavin Coombs. Like he's having a great season, mm. and and he's not like he he's can't, can't he's a big get near it as well, man. isn't he? Like he can't get near it. Like so you're, you're you've got serious options, and ultimately like Tyburn will have a role to play. He's definitely in the twenty three, no matter what way you look at it. Like I think when you go to Paris against that massive French pack who have Paul Valencia in there and they've got just unbelievable weight and size and power. 
you need to have Henderson and Ryan for the scrummaging and, and also for winning. Like it's not about the great carries the Tiber brings to it. It's the first arrivals at ruck time where you win that go forward ball and create that quick ball for Gibson Park to get the ball away. Like that's just not Tyburn. And I think that's the the the, the less glamorous side of second row play that Henderson has that, that Byrne doesn't and um, just Henderson hasn't played enough rugby this season. I do think that that's where they are with it. But like you bring Tyburn on for half an hour at the end of the game against the tired team and you've got an unbelievable asset. And it's unfortunate for him that he maybe gets pigeonholed into that role, but he's very good at it. He comes in and affects games. He was brilliant against the All Blacks in that role. He has been even under Joe Schmidt when he came in towards the end of that World Cup cycle. You get like a bit like Sean Cronin, you get, you know, you get kind of labeled an impact sub and you're very good at being an impact sub. Then, you know, sometimes that's what you become. Um, but he can do a job from the start as well. And he's the only one who's playing and fit at the moment. So, I mean, does it become him versus Ryan? You know, is, is Henderson kind of your your big lock? And it, it's like, I think the problem maybe is Henderson, sorry, is Ryan and Byrne together, whether they have enough heft, you know, is it is he now competing with James Ryan for that place? Like, hard to see Ryan being left out, but at the same time, it's a challenge to him. Hmm. Yeah, another one of those interesting selection dilemmas. And obviously, the fitness of Henderson this weekend is probably a question mark. So it likely is to be Byrne and Ryan, but then even as you mentioned for, for the French game, you know, what about the, the back line, Luke, and in particular the back three, obviously, you know, Rod mentioned earlier, there's only been one injury from the All Blacks game. That's James Lowe. There's a couple of different options. Andrew Conway, Keith Earls, Robert Balakun, Jordan Lammer. You know, who, who, who do you like out of those four guys? What two guys would you be picking out? Uh, I think I'm picking Conway and I'm picking Earls and, I know Earl's age profile is probably the same. He's in the same bracket, maybe a section, but there, there is lots of people who've experienced behind him. Uh, Total Armour finished well, and uh, Balakun f- like going very strong. He looks like he's put on, he just looks a little bit stronger in the contact, not as wiry. He looked really good for Ulster, I thought, uh, in, in, the, in the last two games of the, of the, the Heineken champions. And um, yeah, like that, they're, they're pretty tight calls now. I just think I like Conway in the air. He's a small guy, but he's playing well. He's a really, really good finisher, actually, as well, I think. Um, and look, Earls has that experience, and I think he is. I, I just like him a lot. So, um, And you can kind of slot him in. Like, Earls definitely, I think, ends up probably – he might end up on the bench just because he's a bit of a Swiss Army knife, isn't he, that he kind of covers a bit of everything if, if needs be. Um, but I just like Earls there. I think he's a great finisher. I think he's really, you know, very comfortable with his game at this stage. Uh, he's good in the air. His his defense has really come on. I think the last couple of years. Um, that's who I'm selecting out of those two. Obviously, fullback is a shoe in, um, but um, it's a tight selection, you know. And then you've guys like Larry on the fringes as well, who's been playing very well. Um, you know, Tierno Halloran hasn't got any mentions, but he's been good too. Like I don't know, there seems like there's actually lots of back three players going well. Um, I even like McElroy for 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 Ulster too. Um, but those guys stand out to me, I think, just because I think they're quite experienced, both of them at this stage. Obviously, Earl's even more so. Um, but I give they give a nice balance to the squad. I mean, James Lowe is definitely the number one in that, in that left wing slot. Um, but Earl's is, I think, probably the next best at the moment. Hmm. Yeah, Rod, like it's interesting. You know, Robert Balakun had a big impact for Ulster in, in Europe over the last couple of weeks. And even Jordan Lammer looked very sharp in the last. I know he got a, that injury against Montpellier, but against Bath, again, you know, it was Bath, but. He's still very sharp. Absolutely. Yeah. No, again, his options. I, I think Ireland did lack something in, in, in the kind of like, you know, in that Wales game, say when they were 14 against 15, like Reese Samet was, you know, stood apart. There's just like 
able to finish like that electric pace that he had. And, and I, I think Ireland were missing that last season. I think Balakun potentially gives you that. I would go for him on the right. I think left wing is a bit of a problem because they've lost James Lowe's uh, shotgun boot and the ability to clear your lines so well. You know, when you're under pressure, having that, that left foot uh, left foot a kicker in the back field was really, really valuable to them. And, they, and they've lost that. Earls has more experience on the left wing. They did play Conway there um, during the summer which obviously was, was signposted to some sort of a plan to see if he could do it. Um, and he started the two games, including the win against New Zealand. I have a feeling they're going to go for Balakun on the right and Conway on the, on the left with Earls or Bundiaki on the bench at, uh, at number 23. Because if, if you've got Carberry there, you've got someone that can cover 15. You can push Ringrose out to, 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 to the wing as well if needs be, you know, if there's an injury in the, in the backfield. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if Earls is there. You know, Ireland's last Six Nations game, Earls was the standout performer, like he scored two tries. I mean, it's a while ago now. He hasn't really been, like he's been in an out in Munster because of injuries. So I think he's been, had a bit of a broken run, whereas Conway has been really, really good for Munster. He consistently looks really, really sharp and he's just fulfilling that potential that he that he always had, that it took him a while to kind of figure out, but he's just looking so sharp at the moment. So it's him plus one. I think they're going to go with Balakun because Balakun just has that, incredible speed game-breaking ability um and like it's less risky than it is at 10 but like he has if he's going to be Ireland's wing, starting winger at the world cup he's got to get those minutes under its belt and and you know it's less of a risk to throw him in against wales in the six nations than maybe a 10 you know especially when there's an opening there as well so i'd like to see him get a good bit of action during this window and, and let's see if he's if he's as good as he looks yeah like i take that logic road and i asked luke this question for the centers like you have henshaw and ringrose which seems to be the consensus starting partnership from everyone i've been reading in the, in the previews but like someone like james hume has been playing so well at 13 like that i don't feel like it's a it should be a given that ringrose starts ahead of him and i feel like again this would be a great opportunity to play him against wales at home not as pressurized maybe as france away england away he's playing with you know the key guys alongside him i thought it would be a great time to to blood him and someone who i think deserves it as well like what um, like, what do you make of that? God, yeah, it's such a tough call, isn't it? Like, um, I thought, I actually think Ringrose is playing very well as well, though. Like, uh, and he has done it for a very long period of time. He's obviously vastly experienced. And I think they'll probably benefit from playing together all the time at the club. I think that does help you, I have to say. So um, that's probably why those people are, are, well, everyone is thinking that that is going to be the centre partnership. But I get your point. Like Hume has been knocking on the door. He's been kind of loud about it too, which I really like. Like he's obviously, he really wants it. Uh, he can't even hide it in interviews, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, usually you're kind of trying to be humble and kind of say, oh, look, there's a couple of good guys there ahead of me, blah, you know, whatever it is. Um, he he wants it bad and he's playing great. Like he plays with, he plays a little chippy, I think. Um, and uh, looks desperate to get to the next level and looks very like, very much like he'd be really good there. Uh, I think he probably has a few bits to his game that he could still improve a little bit to my mind. I feel like he's still very much about him in that, you know, it's a lot of sides that, you know, he takes the ball on a lot. Like I don't really see him bringing other guys in unless it's off an offload. I think international rugby will be a little bit different for him, but um, he still has to get in there to, to figure that out. Um, hard to house those guys. So well, I, I really don't have a good answer for you on that one in terms of anything definitive, but um, certainly he does look like I, I, I wouldn't be hesitating to put him in put it that way he looks ready made for the level and he's a big kid very quick too um, so I like him a lot so hopefully he does get a shot somewhere yeah maybe the Italy game might be the time mm. where he, he, he gets in Or just to maybe finish up with you you know I know you said you tipped Ireland you're the only guy in our preview you know what, what's, what's your case then for, for Ireland winning the Six Nations 
form and fitness. Um, they've come off the back. They're confident. They're playing really good rugby. They're coming off the back of a really successful November. They've got almost everyone fit. We think you know there's obviously a chance that you know five of them have injuries and they haven't told us, and we'll find out on Thursday. Um, but as strong stands, chance, I suspect. Yeah, well, there's always a chance, like half of them aren't even in Portugal, probably. You know, um, but no, like that, like you know, if we take them at their word, they've got they've a strong squad to pick from. The provinces are all going well. You know, they're all going pretty well. You know, it's been a bit disruptive, but if you compare it to what's going on with England without Owen Farrell, without a, you know, with the changes that Eddie Jones has put in. Um, Wales have had like a missing like seven hundred caps worth of players, like you know senior players. And um, France have had their their issues. I just think France are going to slip up on one of those away trips to Wales or Scotland. I just I think like France are magnificent, but they just still have. Yeah, you know, I'm I, I'm yet to be convinced that they can they can go. You know they can do to get over the line. Maybe this is the year that they they do it. And they did beat New Zealand really well, but they almost threw that New Zealand game away. Like they 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 weren't as comprehensive over eighty minutes as Ireland were in in their New Zealand win. So um, it's it's all of those reasons. You know, there is a big question mark over whether they can go to France and go to England and win those games. And until they do it, that question mark will be there. There's also the chance that someone will get sent off after 20 minutes in the first game and all bets are off. Or, you know, Wales come over and give an all-time great performance like England did in 2019 and suddenly they're derailed. All that all that stuff can happen. Like the first game in the Six Nations makes mugs of us all um, every second year usually. Uh, so... Um, but as uh, you know, at this remove, not seeing the teams, I'm. I think Ireland are in a really good place, and I think the coaching team have figured a lot of stuff out. You know, the addition of Paul O'Connell, really intelligent move. You know, they're they look really, really confident, really, really like. Just, November was so impressive. It's hard. I think it's hard not to get excited about what this Irish team can achieve. Yeah, it'll be very fascinating to see how they go over the next few weeks. But for now, Rod, thanks so much for joining us. Cheers, lads. Well, we're delighted to be joined for part two of our Six Nations preview by Welsh legend Tom Shanklin. Tom, how are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you, Will. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks. Always an exciting week. Six Nations week. Wales coming to town this Saturday. You know, what's the mood like in Wales at the moment? You know, I feel like we've, we've, we've seen this before. You know, Wales coming in a bit under the radar. Even though they're the defending champions, people don't seem to be giving them much of a chance this weekend or, or in the tournament generally, or, or that's the view from the outside anyway. What's it like over there at the moment? The Ospreys being in Edinburgh and Cardiff being in Leinster, I think we're probably going into this championship now as favourites. <laughs> that was a little joke, the, was it? It's, uh, <laughs> don't do jokes. Um, it's look, cer- certainly a lot more, uh, I think we're a lot more optimistic than, than we have been, say, a couple of months ago. It never really bothers me too much, really, how the regions do um, prior to Six Nations, because we just seem to have this ability to be able to perform during Six Nations. And I think that just comes from a lot of self-belief, um, a lot of history. You know, we've we've won the tournament quite a few times in, in recent years. You know, you look at the last 10 years, we've, there's two Grand Slams and, and two championships. And the regions haven't really been firing on all cylinders during that time. So it's not, it's not a great worry. Um, injuries can fall into that, though, into that, into that worrying bracket. But, I like it when people don't talk about Wales because they just tick along nicely. You know, no, no expectation. They're not going to be the favourites. And, and we like that tag. Yeah, Tom, it's funny you know, mentioned it doesn't really bother you with the region's form because, you know, in Ireland, when the provinces aren't going well, we start losing our mind and we're worried about, you know, how it'll affect the national team. But as you say, like, it, it seems to almost, the worse the regions play, the bigger the bounce the Welsh lads get when they go in. Like, I think it was the Grand Slam year. 
there was talk of maybe disbanding one of the regions in the build-up and, and they put it all together and ended up playing some great rugby. Like, could you give us a bit of an insight into the mentality when the players do go into camp, like that they are able to park it, you know, like, what, what's that like? It's just, it's a change of environment. You know, it's a, it's a change of mindset. Yeah. You actually look forward to coming into camp because you know, it's not going too well for your regions and it's, it's different training. You're around like, the crop of the best players in Wales and we don't have a massive strength in depth. Like I think we've got a really good sort of 35, maybe 38 uh, player database where the, these are quality internationals. And I think just a step below that, there, there's a fair drop, I think, in quality. So it, it's, it's quite easy because you're coming into a whole new competition. It doesn't matter what's gone on in the past. You know you can perform. You know you're with quality individuals. And as a, they've got used to it. You know, just being able to park that emotional baggage, really, from regional rugby and focus on and focus on Six Nations because they know they'll have the self-belief like I said because they know they can win it and and they have done that in the past no matter what's going on with the club they've managed to come into Welsh camp put it aside and put the performances in and do you think that Tom is there ever any kind of worry there like obviously Pivac kind of has has come in he was brilliant with uh, with, with Scarlet's but is there I suppose a lot of people outside of Wales maybe thought that Gatland maybe had something special, that he was the person that was able to keep Wales so consistently good for so long without the regions really performing as well. Um, do you think that that's a... Is he the guy to be able to do that again, to be able to do this kind of repeat act? Um, I mean, at some stage, maybe we're just ingrained in our own way of thinking, as Will was saying, but at some point, you'd have to think that if the regions just aren't competing regularly, there'd have to be a drop somewhere. Like, it, it does. would be our view. It, you don't think so? You think Peebach um, would be the guy to keep it going? I think as soon as Wales stop performing internationally, I think then it might turn into crisis mode a little bit mm. because the regions aren't performing. Uh, the Welsh team isn't performing. But as I said, we've been able to do that. And and we still got, and, and Wayne Pivak still got a crop of those players and a, a large amount of those players that Warren Gatland managed to mould into, into the winners, into that winner mentality. Um, and look, I'm, I'm really happy for Wayne because the autumn campaign wasn't great for him, nor was the Six Nations pride. But last year, um, the man was under a lot of pressure. His coaching team were under a lot of pressure. And, Look, I know there was a little bit of luck in the games, um, but Wales's discipline was still spot on and it played a massive factor in, in them producing the goods. And, you know, they, they were a couple of minutes away from winning the Grand Slam out in France. So I, I think Wayne is the right man for the job. Um, but you do, you always have slight worries, don't you? And I think when you lose that crop of players that Warren Gatland has, has shaped for such a long time um, and the new crop come through, there's bound to be, I think, a transition period where teams are trying to find what balance suits, how to play. You know, it, it's lucky sometimes when Warren came in that it happened straight away. He came in 2008, won a Grand Slam straight away. But there, there were ups and downs during that campaign. Um, but he had the core of the same players. And I think, you know, once you start taking out the likes of Dan Bigger, Ken Owens, Alan Jones, I know that they're not playing. Um, John Davis is these types of players and you start filtering the new players you know the ones that um, haven't been in that Gatland era we might get a transition period where we might not necessarily see the national team do as well yeah because that's probably where I'm looking at it this, this weekend's game I'm thinking there's so many guys so many caps out of, out of the Welsh team this weekend yeah. and all of a sudden I get to this place where I, I'm in the same place as you in terms of 
the Wales squad just being a you know it's just a winning environment, winning play like players were used to winning, grinding out results. Even when there's lots of times where I've seen that Wales team saying, "Geez, how do they win that game?" But they just have great belief in themselves. If you lose a couple of these guys for a large part of the tournament, like what happens there? What do you think everyone will then start going? Oh well, we really need to fix the, the regions. Do you think that'll be something, or could be something, or will they look to say, "Well, we need P back gone." You know, we, we need another guy at the top who can rec- like recreate what, what Gatlin did. Is that, do you think how they, is that the model? Is that how they go? I think the days of, of just scrapping your coach straight away have gone. You know, we saw it with Mike Ruddock. We saw it with Gareth Jenkins. I think, you know, you, you need a, a coach. You need a figurehead there. They've gone when he needs to have time to develop these players. And I think he should get a little bit of leeway when, mm-hmm. when the older players do t- decide to, you know, time's up to hang their boots up um, because new players need to come through. Um, look, there's no doubt we don't have a huge amount of strength and depth. What we've got is a, is a really good uh, group of elite players in Wales. Um, and injuries do play a massive factor in Six Nations campaigns. You know, the, the teams that tend to do well are the ones that manage to keep the majority of players fit and on the field um, because you need those partnerships to work. But part of me is slightly worried about when we do lose players like Dan Bigger, um, you know, 15s, you know, we're, we're struggling for 15s, I think, at the moment. We're struggling for centres. We, I, th- I believe that we've got players that can can do a job and, and can fill a gap, but not necessarily will, you know, you look at it and think, right, you are, you're in that team for the next five, seven years. You know, you're, you're going to be a 50 capper, like like you would with someone like Lewis Rezamit, like Josh Adams, you know, players that you just see are world-class players. Um, so, we do lack a little bit of strength and depth and it is slightly worrying. And I put a tweet out recently, I got absolutely hammered for it about, um, you know, where the next group of quality Welsh internationals I had to put quality in because, <laughs> you know, anyone can get capped, can't they? <laughs> just got <laughs> you just got to be lucky. It was right. certainly our experience. <laughs> right, right time, right place. Um, and, and I just, you know, cause I watched the URC and I watched the regions and in, in my point of view, you know, we don't have a massive amount of players coming through that can challenge for positions. And I've got to the point now where I can't even say well done to Cardiff or Ospreys without people hammering me. So that's, <laughs> I, won't be sending out, I won't be sending out any more board tweets, put it that way. <laughs> uh, and Tom, you know, this weekend, obviously, starting with the Ireland game, you know, the, the Ireland-Wales rivalry has been really interesting over the last, you know, eight, nine, ten years, the Gatland era, obviously, you know, with, with his history in Ireland. You know, it's an interesting kind of dynamic between the two countries. I feel like, you know, Ireland have often been guilty of overlooking Wales for sure, like come out in the wrong end of a couple of results over the years. I'd say the Wales probably think we're a bit arrogant over here, maybe on occasion. Like, what's the dynamic, do you think, between the two countries now? We never realised there was an issue until Warren Gatling came in. And then uh, somehow he created a, he created this there's animosity between us all. We used to all um, get along. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the issue is probably with him more than us, but no, not at all. I mean, you know, we all group together and we hate the English. That's how it works out. Um, but no, look, we're, Ireland are always strong, always strong, always strong provincially, always strong um, internationally. And you know, it's, you know, it's always going to be a tough game. It's going to be a physical game. You know, it's, it starts with set piece scrum line out as most games do, but Look, it's a, it's the opening game, so I think that probably counts for to, to Wales more than anything because Ireland will be strong going into this. 
And I think, you know, the stronger teams often, you're better off getting at the start, you know, where it's the first game out, you know, there, there might be a little bit of rustiness. There might be, um, you know, it, it takes time, doesn't it? Momentum plays a massive factor in the Six Nations. You know, you don't start nearly all the games off really and get, at, at, you know, at the top, you know, you sort of progress slowly and slowly, unless you're Scotland, of course. Scotland go the other way. They start big against England and they drop. But uh, it is all about momentum. So, you know, if you can catch teams cold, um, then, you know, anything can happen. I think that's, I think that plays into Wales's hand, being out in Ireland, first game off in the, in the Guinness Six in the Guinness Six Nations, I think, you know, if, if Wales stand a chance in winning that game, it'll be uh, the first game out. Yeah, Lucas, I feel like we've already kind of moved on to Paris in a lot of the discussions. You know, I feel like we've been here before and we're underestimating Wales once again. Like that's probably one of the dangers this weekend. Yeah, it sounds like they underestimate Scotland, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a waterfall effect. No, I think. Um, look, I, I I don't know if we do. I think lots of people are saying that Wales are a little bit depleted. And I think that's fair, you know. I, Tom makes yeah. a great point about um, the start of the tournament. Like, there's still, yes, it's a little bit of rustiness, but it's also a little bit of, you know, you might have a few new bodies in. You might have combinations that aren't playing together week in, week out at clubs. You know, you've got a new defensive coach. Everyone's got to get on the same page there. So there's lots of moving parts at the start of a competition. Uh, you know, new line-out throwers to new lifters, all this kind of stuff it is a good time to get one of the big teams, I think, because generally the organization is just a little bit behind where it probably will be later on in the tournament when you're, you know, seven, eight weeks into camp. Um, so it's a good point he makes there. And I think, you know, the Aviva is, it, Ireland are strong with the Aviva. They're tough to beat there. But if there's ever a time to get them, it's when, um, you know, from a Welsh perspective, it's early in the competition, I think, when they're less organized there and, and still maybe figuring a few things out about this team and this tournament. So, um, you know, I think... Uh, are we overlooked? I don't think so. I think people see this as an opportunity because they're missing a few bodies. And I'd say that's right. I think it'll be, um, it's a tough start for, for Wales without, without all those caps. As, as Tom alluded to earlier on, um, that's a lot of winners out of your team. Like a lot of yeah. people who are used to grinding out, you know, away and an away win, uh, you know, in, in a tough away stadium, they're missing a few of those guys. So you'd have to think this is an opportunity for Ireland to, to go ahead and win against an opposition that, let's face it, we've really struggled against. It's been really like, there's lots of times where Ireland go into these, you know, as you mentioned with our provinces playing really, really good. The Welsh region is really struggling. Everyone thinks, you know, we've lots of guys playing well. They haven't, we have to go win this and we haven't gone ahead and done that. They've figured out a way to beat us. Um, and, you know, they're always a worry for me going into the competition based on that. So um, big opportunity for Ireland with a few of their guys missing still, I think. And, and it's, it is Ireland's, you know, yes, it's the start of the tournament, but Ireland, I think, should win this one based on that. We have a lot of experienced heads in our team and people playing well. So I think it's advantage Ireland so far this weekend. Hmm. And Tom, when you look at the landscape generally in the Six Nations, you know, France are obviously coming in, I think, as pretty strong favourites. You know, England, you know, looking maybe to a new era, Marcus Smith coming in. You know, how would you assess the two big heavyweights? France has just got a massive player base, as do England. Um, you know, you look at the size of the French, you look at how they're playing, you know, what they're doing in Europe. Um, they've just got quality players, form players as well, you know. There's not many weaknesses in that French team. And previously, you might say that, you know, defensively, they were quite passive. But Sean Edwards coming in, you know, they, they hit with a lot of line speed now. Um, they, they don't give you any time. The combinations work brilliantly, especially in that back line. I look at that. Um, 
uh, and potentially what backline they can pick. You know, they cover all bases. You know, if they want to pick back a tower and, and Fiku, that you've got two different players there, two massive units as well. The back three, take your pick. You know, nine is got, is obviously going to be Dupont. Ten, you've got Jalibay, you've got Entomac. It's just quality, absolutely everywhere, and they're they're good in the scrum, um, and they're big and physical, and yeah, it's difficult to look past them. As I often think with England as well, with the amount of players they've got, I think, I think this could be the year that everyone worldwide takes note of Marcus Smith. Mind, um, he's been knocking on that door for a long time to play for England, and for whatever reason, he's not really been given the shot. And I think sometimes you need that to get your foot in the door uh, and to get a few starts on the bounce that are injuries or lack of form. And I look at the the England team and. He has to start. There's no doubt about it. He has to start. And, and I think it's like it's like Finn Russell, you know, yeah, gone are the days of being a maverick. You know, they're, they're not mavericks. You know, they know what it takes to seal out games. They've just got something in their armory, which is completely different to most of the tens in this competition, how they view space, you know, how they get the ball to space, you know, the, the skill set they've got, you know, they can make breaks that they're the chips ahead, you know. They see things that other tens don't, and um, I think Marcus Smith will shine this tournament. I, I don't see how he can't. Yeah, Luke, like Marcus Smith's an interesting one in England. You know the direction they might be going in, because in one sense it's really exciting. Like Marcus Smith has been playing so well. There's some other good young backs as well. But then, you know, they, they've lost that Sarsons core, and they maybe lost some of the fear factor, the intimidation that the Vunapolas would bring. You know, that on file would bring as well. Like when, when the Saracens were really humming and England were relying on that core, there was that kind of physicality and that kind of, yeah, intimidation bit. It's a really different dynamic now with Mark Smith running the team. Not to say they can't be really successful. And as Tom says, you know, be really exciting, but it's a very different kind of team now. Yeah. And I'm not sure that the new bodies in, I'm not sure those skills are as transferable as the, that kind of Saracens skill set that, you know, you know, massive press off the line, that really kind of suffocating defense that England had during that period, those big bodies that were getting over the gain line. Um, I'm not sure they have that. And, and my worry for them, I suppose, is that, yes, you've got Marcus, but like Ford is playing brilliantly too. Like I don't even, yeah. I was, I actually felt bad for him being left out of the squad because I think he's been, he's been unbelievable in the premiership. Um, you know, if, would you say, has he been playing better than Marcus Smith? It's a bloody close call between those two. Now, Marcus Smith has the age profile where you're kind of saying, look, let's give this guy a chance. He needs years in the jersey. He looks like he could bring this team to a new level. Um, my worry is that he plays a bit of more of an open brand, I think. And does that suit England all the time? I always think England are a real kind of rigid, you know, you know, big pack, you know, big, strong scrum, great, you know, line out, very organized, kind of punish you and, uh, you know, for... for you know, 60 minutes and then they, they kind of open up a, a bit at the end. That's always my impression of them when they're at their best, kind of pummeling teams into submission with kind of a really good kicking 10 um, and some really good finishers out wide sometimes. But um, Marcus Smith would break the mold there. And as, as, as Tom mm. was saying, you know, he could open them up um, to, to a new style, to something that maybe could unleash some of the firepower that they have. Like there's so much, so many good rugby players there. Um, yes, they lose to Saracens cohort, but there's some brilliant rugby players that they bring in. People who've been knocking on the door for a long period of time who actually can play an open brand of rugby with, you know, your, your, your Exeters and these guys. They play lovely, lovely, you know, kind of fast paced games. Um, I think it'd be a big change for England, though. And, and I'm not sure it will be an easy transition straight away. 
uh, would be my my view on that. I still think France agree with Tom uh, very much the favourites. What about Scotland? Like I know you kind of you laughed earlier and you said you know they start strong like you know and then maybe peter out a little bit and they're not shy of talking themselves up as well. You know they they do seem to be been the coming team for a couple of years now. Even last year, you know beating France and England away and then blowing up at home to Wales and losing at home to Ireland like. You know, that kind of inconsistency is pretty maddening, I'd say. But, you know, like, are they primed to have a breakout year? Like, they've never really contended for a Six Nations title properly. I don't think they've even won four out of five games before. So it would be a pretty big step forward for them if they were to contend. Yeah, it would. Um, they're definitely improving. And I think, uh, you know, everyone can see that. I think, you know, having consistency in selection will help. And you look at that first game last year, and Redpath was amazing, wasn't he? You know, just broke onto the scene straight away, but then didn't feature for the rest of it. Um, you know, they, they've certainly got a brilliant 10. Um, it, it doesn't really matter too much, you know, the, the combinations outside that, because I think someone like Finn Russell's got enough creativity for, for all of that backline. Stuart Hogg, another ball player as well. So they are really threatening. Um, they've got some players on, quite a lot of players on form going into this um, championship as well, because um, Glasgow and Edinburgh, are both top of the URC. Um, but I've just, you, you're right though, Will. You just don't see that consistency every week with them. You know, they've got big wins in them. There's no doubt about that. But I think sometimes, you know, they they don't choke, but they just don't perform to that high level, which which we can see um, often, often. Are enough. they a little light in the pack to you, Tom? What do you think about them in there? I feel like that's where you get real consistency as a team when you're really yeah. dominating every week as a, uh, if your pack is, is on fire, you know? Yeah, it does. You know, a big pack will give you front football, but I think the way Scotland want to play would be quite similar to the way Wales want to play in a way because Wales will, Wales don't have a massive pack. They've got a really mobile pack, as do Scotland. So that's where it sort of comes to playing a high-tempo game and playing with a lot more width uh, and trying to create opportunities. So, you know, I don't think Scotland are going to be able to take teams on too much physically, but I think where they will um, be dangerous is, is out wide. And, you know, with, off turnover ball, off kick receipt, they've got a brilliant back three. Um, <clears throat> but I've, I said this at the start, you know, Edinburgh and, and, um, and Glasgow are doing well, really well in the URC, but I still think Wales will beat them at home, no matter what the regions are doing. I just think they've got that that little psychological hold over them where they just know what it takes to win and know how to win. And I don't think Scotland are quite there yet. I think they'll get there eventually, but they don't quite have that winning mentality, you know, for, for five games. Yeah. I don't think they've ever won in the Aviva stadium either. They beat Ireland once in Croke Park. Uh, I think that's the only win they've had uh, in Dublin in the Six Nations. But like, look, it's sort of so well this Saturday evening, you know, after Ireland, Wales, Scotland, England and Murrayfield, you know, Finn Russell versus Marcus Smith, you know, two guys who like to play maybe a similar front foot style. And it, it feels like almost like a knockout game, like the loser there, it's a long way back, you know, but the winner, you know, as Tom said, the momentum they get from that opening day win would be huge. Yeah, like an England have to go away to France at the end. Like it's a long tournament for them if they don't if they get off to a bad start. Uh, and as I said, there's a few changing bodies and probably mentalities if they if they bring like the likes of Marcus Smith into the team. So they're a risk factor, you know, and they mightn't perform as well as people might think, or they mightn't contend if they get off to a bad start. Like I just feel like you're right. It's a long way back for them. Scotland, on the other hand, um, 
I think they're, they have a lot of expectation coming into this game. I think they think they're going to win uh, against England. Of course, someone's going to say, well, you always think you're going to win playing a game. Is, you know, <laughs> but I actually think they believe they're going to win this one. So interesting to see if they can, if they can go ahead and deliver on that. I, I think that's, um, it'll be a big ask for them. But if ever England were, were there for the taking, it might be now. I think they, they could be in a little bit of a transitional phase here in terms of their selections, as I said. So um, let's just hope that they're, they're moving away from that week-to-week team where you just don't have that consistency. Because I think if they can get this one off, they get the tournament off to a good start, maybe they can take that next step. Looking forward to, to, to seeing if they can, actually. It's, it, it's really, that one's prime for a, for a really big day in Murrayfield, actually. So, um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be great to see them do it. I, it's I, a I great start hide. for them as well. It's Sorry? a great start. For, it's a great start for Scotland, mm-hmm. as we talked about. Uh, well, um, Wales, you know, having a big team at the start. You know, they've got a big team in England at the start at home, and you know, not sure. I, I'm not sure how England are going to go with selection on who they play. Um, I think Joe Marchant's come down with COVID. He looked like he was probably going to start uh, maybe with uh, Henry Slade. So, you know, you look at that game. Scotland, England, huge and a great game for them right at the start. The first game up, perfect. Yeah, it's to be a cracking opening weekend. We might, might finish up with predictions then. Go to you first, Luke. You know, who do you think ultimately will win the Six Nations? Uh, and how do you France. think Ireland will do if it's not the same? <laughs> I, I think France will do it. I think um, Ireland and England at home, uh, you know, I think at the moment, I, I feel like Ireland are a little bit ahead of Wales um, and in a better place injury-wise. And playing very well in, in, in November. So I think they're probably the two of the toughest teams at the moment in the competition still. Like England will be good, I think, by the end of the tournament, but um, they'll have to find themselves a little bit uh, at the start of it. That's always a good year. France, they have a great squad. Like, I think Edwards makes a big impact there. Yeah, he does. Um, doesn't he? Like, I think he really changes the complexion of things. And they've actually started picking guys <laughs> every week. Versus, like you know, they could they could name a completely changed fifteen or twenty three off the back of a you know one poor you know performance. It, it, there was the selection stuff was crazy. They have a little bit of consistency there now. That's so important for for international rugby. And as I said, they get to hold on to the players for for longer uh, for longer portions of the tournament. Also, a very important thing. So uh, France, I think, um, you know, lo- looking good to 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 go the whole way. I think. Hmm. And Tom, your, your prediction, and, and how do you think Wales will do as well? Uh, I think Wales will be competitive. I'm not sure they're going to beat Ireland. I think, you know, you look at the squad and you look at the players missing and, you know, the, being away from home. I, I, Ireland, I think, will have enough to take Wales. But I think two from um, two from five or three from five, I think win your home games. And then, you know, it's Ireland and England away. You, you can't win the tournament every year. You know, Wales won it last year. You know, it doesn't often happen again. So, you know, you've got to spread the love a little bit. Let someone else, let someone else lift the trophy now and again. I, I, you know, you'd, you'd be happy, I think, with, with everything going on for third or fourth for Wales. Mm. And overall winners? France. I just, I can't look past them, mate. I can't look with the strength of and depth, the size of the squad, the player pool they've got to pick from, how good the players are as well. Um, although they start with Italy at home and I don't know whether that's good or not because I don't think Italy will offer them too much. They won't be tested. And I think that could play into uh, to Ireland's hands. You've got them the week after because Ireland will be, should be battled ready after that first game. Hmm. Well, so much to look forward to over the next yeah. couple of weeks before the moment. Tom, Luke, thanks so much for joining me. Pleasure. Thank you.
That's all we have time for this week on the Left Wing Podcast. We will be back next week to review all the Six Nations action. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or listen on independent.ie. Until next time, thanks for listening, and goodbye.